I have to turn it around because of the light. <clears throat> I do. I'll, I'll do. Hello, everybody. Hello. Dialing in. Hello. Dialing in. Let's see. <clears throat> the bells have already rung at the church across the town square. So it is time to begin. Does anybody have any Pirate jokes? I don't mean that. <clears throat> I ask for pirate jokes a lot, and I usually get wordplay and puns like that and gremlin jokes. And so I stopped asking for them, but I'm still in the search just to set the record straight. So somebody else have something? <clears throat> As we've been doing a lot of experiments out there. God, Kian, you're here. <laughs> Weren't you just in a transformational emotional healing process for the last couple of hours, Kian? Yes. Can you say anything about it? Don't have to. Just that's a sudden space shift if you came here after that. I mean, the suggestion that I'm making actually is, you know, maybe something other than this space would be, would be better for you right now in terms of integrating what just happened, because, you know, we'll be talking and thinking and exploring and you've just had probably inner structures re redesigned, re-changed with regards to each other. And you might this might not be a really great space for integrating that stuff. Good point. So we'll, we'll have a recording up. You can check it out later. If we do discover any pirate jokes, you'll see them on, 
on the video. Yeah, it might be a great time to take a walk, take a nap, write stuff, sleep, I don't know, drink water, those kinds of things. Yes, Maybe. thank you for this proposal. I will do that. Great. Okay, bye. See you later. Anybody else just coming out of an emotional healing process? Yes, Shannon, Sunday. Yes, there's there's two things. Well, first of all, I, I came up with a pirate joke as you asked, and I think it's in service to the space. Uh, 144 pirates walked into a bar. Bartender says, I'm sorry, I will not serve you 144 pirates. And 144 pirates say, why not? And the bartender says, because last time you were here, I got hooked. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it is totally relevant. Totally relevant. I get a chill down my back about how relevant that is. Thank you. I appreciate that. On our last call, you asked us to select an identity in which no one can take away my authority. Yes. And I went on this search to construct an identity. And then I realized it's not about choosing or selecting an identity, it's about letting go. Can you say more about letting go? Yeah, it's... Um, it's okay to feel stuff. Yeah, I, I, I want to share with you that as, as you're asking me the question, I, I feel fear. And, and so I went, I started to construct, well, what does this new identity look like? And, and, and come at it from an intellectual place. And, and then as the week progressed and the experiments that came up with even just seeing how I use the, the, um, the story that I'm tired or that I need a break to take me out of extraordinary, that, that takes me out of extraordinary. It's, I realized that what I needed a break from was simply from sitting, that I wasn't really tired. I was just tired of sitting and that, that really committing to responsibility, to radical responsibility, and to really committing to moment to moment coming back to my center and, and committing to keeping this space open for my bright principles to shine through. That's, that's the space where, where I can live, where no one can take away my authority and getting to this place where it's not about me it's not about me and letting go of that when you say it's not about me what me do you mean I don't need an answer to that but what I do want to say is in mage work which is just energetic awareness is 
it's a it's a useful and powerful procedure, alchemical procedure to give something a name. So you called it a space, but if that space does not have a name, it's not on the map. Can't find it if it doesn't have a name on the map. I think we can relate to that metaphor. So giving it a name gives it a place and a way to find your way back to it. And that's what's needed because the reactivity is so fast. Being hooked is so fast. Giving authority away is so fast as a survival strategy. Our survival strategies are fast. They have to be fast. So this identity precedes this survival strategy. And it includes the survival strategy because it's not about not surviving. You get that? It's not about not taking care of yourself. So it is about taking care of yourself, but from this place where you are not giving your authority away is part of the survival strategy. So that requires a different name. That's why I ask to have us choose it, an identity. And it doesn't have to be a name. It's a role. It's a what you are. It isn't necessarily a name. It's what you are. I mean, if you explore the start over dot XYZ world, that you'll discover something like a rift walker. What the heck is a rift walker? Well, that's, that is a powerful identity. The authority from which cannot be taken away because the rift walker functions in the rift, which is the gap. Gaps, there's these nine gaps and the rift walkers essentially lives in the gaps. You know, our edge worker or a, a new refugee. What is a new refugee? with somebody who's been kicked out of their culture because they became more conscious than the culture. It's a new identity. And, and a possibilitator is essentially a possibility manager. You know, a possibilitator is somebody who is, has become the, the interaction space between their archetypal lineage and the earth coincidence control office. Who you're being is this intersection between your archetypal lineage and the earth coincidence control office. Well, okay, that's a possibilitator. Okay, that kind of thing, you're functioning with energies that have so much authority in the, in the actual world, in the universe, beyond human beings. You're serving these spaces. What's going to take your authority away from that? So this is possibilitator. That's what we're talking about, is, a, is finding a home that the big bad wolf cannot blow over and knock down and burn, which is a metaphor from a fairy story about the big bad wolf and the three pigs. Did anybody else try to do that or has been experimenting along those lines? Thank you, Shannon. Are we supposed to call you Sunday? Is that is that the deal? I I changed my name so that you would know that that I that I list that, that I was experimenting. I'm going to put Great. my name back. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a what you are rather than just a name. Thank you, Shannon, for sharing and, this stuff. Yeah, go I, ahead. 
I want to share that when I'm about to, lately I've been observing that when I'm about to make a choice, I, I just, I do a simple check in it and with whether this is an automatic choice from, from something that my, that, that I've constructed from a place of survival, or if this is a choice that is, is in service to to the responsibility that I've committed to. And to that, and to what you just said about what a possibilitator is. And sometimes that choice is what I'm gonna eat for dinner. Mm -hmm. And is that, is that in, in alignment with, with everything, with, with what, with the responsibility and the commitment? Mm -hmm. You know, these words, responsibility and commitment have been so destroyed by modern culture. It's been so tempting to try to replace them with other words because they've just been abused and just contaminated. And so in our research, we've decided not to change the words, but it takes such razor blade attention to stay, to know which meaning you mean when you say responsibility and when you say commitment, because I'm not sure, you know, I'm talking to you from across the Atlantic Ocean or something, but you know, in the tone of your voice, it didn't sound like commitment was very ecstatic. You know, that responsibility, you were not having washing in the, it was a next culture word for ecstasy about creative collaboration in, in commitment, you know, and responsibility. So it didn't sound ecstatic. So then I'm assuming that you're using the old traditional modern culture uh, uh, meanings of those words, which means it's a pain, it's a burden, it's a task, it's a duty, it's a work, it's I have to, I must, all of those things. And so if you're, if you're going to try to do that to yourself, you're just doing self-manipulation and that is not going to go very far. It's probably, probably what most of us have been doing most of our lives, trying to manipulate ourselves into doing doing the good, the right thing, and then actually doing whatever the hell our gremlin wants to because, because it's unconscious. So it's a journey, this journey that we're on to make gremlin conscious, our hidden purposes conscious, our hidden competing commitments conscious, and to change our connection to responsibility and commitment to be alchemical actions of ecstasy. This is a big journey. It's a huge journey. And it's easy to fool ourselves on it. And that's why we have to meet in a group so we can catch ourselves fooling ourselves about this kind of stuff. So easy to fool ourselves because we're surrounded by people who are fooling themselves about that, who are confused about this kind of stuff because they never investigated this stuff before. They've just gone along with the zombie program and then we're sucked into zombie land by osmosis without even knowing it. So it takes really something, it really takes something to throw an, a, you know, a hook, like an anchor on the end of a rope and throw it into a different space and pull, pull yourself into this other space that has a completely different context. And that's, that's the kind of thing we're working on. And 
Oh, may I share one more thing? Go. On the trainer path call, the North American trainer path call this past week, we, we had the, we, we got Anna Norm Buena came into our space to hold space for us. Mm -hmm. And she, she asked the question about what was our level of responsibility when we committed to be in this space of, of being on the trainer path. And my story was that my commitment was really low because I didn't have, I didn't have it all together yet. And, and And in that space that was held so impeccably, I realized that, that my level of commitment was, was much higher than, than I realized. Mm. How did you realize that? In a, in a gentle, subtle way that poured into me that it, it, it's something of, it poured into me and and put me into liquid state and then and then I I I simply saw that it was here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I think it's true, Shannon, but I also think it's valuable to get the mechanism, to see what you saw, to get yeah. the because otherwise we all, you know, many of us have a confusion mechanism <clears throat> that is so powerful that it's allowed us to be participate in a consumer role in a capitalist patriarchal empire our whole lives. And that's, we have to deny and confuse ourselves about the pain of, of actually supporting the values of these capitalist patriarchal empire game worlds without you know, complete denial of what we're actually standing for in our lives by participating in these game worlds. And so we, we have, that's another thing to overcome come as this huge fogging mechanisms that we have that numb us out, you know, and take, make us confused. And so when you get a grip on when something like that happens, it's, it's worth writing down immediately. It's worth to find out exactly what that shift was, because I think it's true. I think you are far more committed than you thought before. And I, for all of us, I think if you want something to have happened it's important to write down exactly what happened. And that transformational act puts it as ink on paper in your beat book. And then what you have is an object in the physical material world that was not there before. And it contains the, the path of the, the track, you know, the way thing that just happened for you, you've recorded. So it's, I think I wanna recommend that over and over. I recommend it writing down what happened. So you have a path for it. Yeah.
Yeah, and then also we need to pay attention to these fogging mechanisms because they are huge and they're fast and powerful. And mostly the book, the Radiant Joy Brilliant Love book and stuff is about taking apart the fogging mechanisms for the first three or 400 pages, you know, and we're only page 141 so far. It's taking apart unclarities and confusions and like that. So we're in the middle of that. Honest, you're gonna say something? Yes, please. Um, I just had a um, PM talk today. And after my check-in, um, I got a question whether, um, I have to translate it from the German, uh, whether I want to hear my story about it. So I was asked from someone else whether I want to hear my story about it. And I answered it with no, because it was for me a starting in low drama. Because what I know, I mean, I'm what I'm asking for is whether this is, is correct, my impression is correct, or what, because what I know is that I can tell somebody what my story is about him or her, but never ask him or her what I think his or her story is about something. Um, and yes, so I, I, I thought this is the starting of a hook. And so I answered this with no. Um, yes. Um, is there any? How do you live with yourself? I mean, that's so rude. I'm, I'm not trying to be funny. I mean, it's so socially impolite to not want to hear somebody else's projection or expectation or assumption or conclusion about stuff. But you um, said no. You didn't want to hear it. I, I said no because um, I asked for. Uh, another formulation of that question. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted to to know what the other one wanted to say, but the question was something like, I, I'm going to be hooked because someone is telling what my story is. And I wanted to prevent getting hooked. My my intention was that yeah, I was work. really willing to to listen to it, but I couldn't because I got I got my uh, yes my <laughs> I got a like like a shot getting down and I, I was closing my box was shutting up and uh, shield uh, shielding yes thanks yeah. shielding like up Trek. and and. I become aware that if I'm in that um, kind of state, I am not able to listen to what the other one wants to tell me. Yeah. And I was asking for, could you please um, re uh, yeah, use other words for, for the kind of question? That was the only thing I was knowing how to, to, handle this, but 
What I want now is to ask for a possibility whether there is another way to handle it. So I'm not rude to the other one. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And Chloe, were you going to say something? Sometimes you have to be rude in, in face of mm -hmm. the Boston Grumman that's trying to project and, and have stories. I mean, mm -hmm. what I use, and but I've also had practice with a lot of people who want to project and tell me what they think about me. I said, mm -hmm. well, instead of telling me what you think about me, do you have a question? Do you have an honest, like authentic question that you want to you wanna know me better? If you have a question that, and you want to know me better, let's try. Mm -hmm. And basically the person, if they already have a story, then they, they already know about you. In their world, they already know about you. Instead of being curious and have authentic necessity. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm not sure whether you got me right. It was not the story of the person about me, but the person wanted to tell me my story behind something. Yeah, so that was, that was confusing me. So, and that was hooking me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So all of us, as we're, as we're negotiating our, our interactions with people, I would encourage more and more to trust your intuition about what's really going on. Mm -hmm. Because most of what we're learning in this investigation together is not something we've learned from our parents or from school or from society. It's beyond the edge. And so out beyond the edge, we won't have so much uh, social confirmation about how we're supposed to be or how we're supposed to deal with this. There are not rules. There aren't any, there are not any. And so what we have to do is trust our intuition, make moves and see what happens. And it's, it really is our job to take care of ourselves out beyond the edge. Because not only are there the usual kind of assholes and gremlins and people like that of ordinary society, there are also bizarre, sometimes even mentally ill edge worker people who try to be a guru, try to be a, uh, a psychoanalyst, you know, try to be some, some witch or healer person. And you have to detect whether it's, it's authentic or not, or useful or not. You have to detect because there are no rules. There are no laws. There are no, it's not a socially uh, understood protocol. So you have to use your intuition to take care of yourself. And so it really is about, you're not going to find a rule about it. Trust your intuition and move. Thank what, you, what, Thank you mm, for doing Thank that. you. What I could do now is to tell my story about what was going on here. This and, would not be the place for that. But it's no, not here and not the other talk was mm. even not the place, yes. Mm. Okay, well, thank, the other place, I don't know who it was or what it is, but... Mm. Yeah, do the next thing. It's like take a risk. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, okay. take a risk. Take mm -hmm. a stand for yourself and take a risk. You'll mm -hmm. learn something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but okay. if you're hooked, if you're hooked already, forget it. You got to take a time out. So you get hooked already. But when you're not hooked, you're centered, grounded, bubbled, you're present, go in and take a risk. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay, thank you. Yeah, thank you.
Anybody else sharing anything else right now? Amba, you're muted. Thank you. I, I want to share something that I, I remember when Hannes shared his story. A few weeks ago, I, I was in a conversation and, and I got hooked. And I was totally convinced that the other person is talking, the other person is talking with her gremlin to me. And I was so sure, I was like, fuck, this is your gremlin talking. And, you know, I was so sure that I didn't realize that I was hooked. And after I reflected and I was like, shit, this is what gremlins do. Gremlins hook each other. Mm. And if my gremlin is getting, if I'm getting hooked by another person's gremlin, that's what gremlin do. Yes. So it, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was like a liberating insight that it doesn't matter if the other person's gremlin is acting or not. The problem is when I'm getting hooked, I'm hooked. And then I lost. Yeah. Yeah, basically your gremlin takes over. Yes. And mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if I'm right or wrong, because when I'm hooked, I'm hooked. And that's it. That's the end of the story. Yeah, but I think it matters if I'm right or wrong. <laughs> well, you can have right. You can be right, Clinton. <laughs> uh, I, I, I gave up on that one. <laughs> oh, you're lucky. <laughs> no, I allow myself to be right three times in, a, in one day. And, um, <laughs> and on a good day, I usually make it to one once. So it doesn't happen, does not happen so often. Okay. I'm kind of joking around about that, but still, I think you know what I mean. Is your gremlin fed when you're right? Sure. It is. Well, it's my box usually. And then my, my gremlin is proud of my box, but the box is justified and protecting, you know, it has its, see, it was worth doing all that just to be right. Yeah. Okay. I'd like to right. share also something. Doris, okay, go ahead. I mean, next, please. I was in a, a trainer space this weekend in the German trainer space, and I took some time out for myself, kept my space, and I'm really scared to, to share that because it was about my unconscious fear in relationship, how much attention I put on and and I had a process about, it was like, it was so valued to become aware about that, what unconsciousness was working there and all the relations and it's coming up now, right now, so, so huge that fear I was not aware about and my friend is sitting right next to me and to see how much I was speaking, how, what all I was doing and how it was connected with that. So it was incredible. And now coming back into the relationship and see with a different X where I'm now, it's difficult for me to hold that 
and to yeah to be with just be with that fear now right now yeah that's what's going on here you can do it yeah you can do it thank you mark was that you yes go ahead I observe that my gremlin does not want to be on the Monday morning calls with you. I also observe that I wrote it down. My birth story is to be taken care of in my prime or basic needs so that I can do my higher needs. My role as a dragon and the dragon is something that goes and sees an obvious problem that everyone's walking around and walks up to it and says, this is it. And I did that over the weekend several times. And it's not subtle enough. And that results in me getting attacked. And I've gotten so used to being attacked in that situation that I don't try to adjust that. I'm, I have a request, and that is for more information about the four villager types. I understand the trainer path. What are the other three paths, and how can I get connected with those? Mark, are you, do you have a possibility team? Mm. I'll take that as a no. So... Because, because a weekly possibility team is a fantastic place to do those kinds of experiments so you can get through the fear of the, of the being attacked, for example. Or you can learn new tools or new ways to uh, make offers that are nonlinear possibility offers that people can accept rather than attacking. Because there's whole... There's whole ways that we might try to make an offer, but it comes across as uh, some kind of insult or some kind of a, of a, um, of a manipulation. But in fact, uh, we're trying to make a, a generous offer, but we're not doing it very skillfully. And so a possibility team is a great place to practice over and over, getting gentle feedback from friends to empower you to be able to do, create the things you want to create. And so I don't know if that helps, but I hope it helps somebody. I would wish that we, you know, this Monday, you know, study group is fantastic, but it, we're, this is not really an experiment space. This is a connecting space and a study space, but it's not about doing real experiments together so often. And so I really encourage people to get into or create a possibility, a weekly possibility team and just do the do those kind of experiments. It really helps. Is there a spark related to creating possibility teams? Because obviously so I've been looking for a village for years and I sabotage it or do something that is not productive there. Right mm -hmm. now, my excuse is I don't have people I can be in real connection with physically and trying to do it over Zoom uh, was too easy for my gremlin to disrupt. Yeah, there's a website 
entire website about it. And you know, the way to do that would be to take that to your possibility team. Take those things you're talking about to your possibility team. How do you create the cart before you have a cart? This is straightforward. You create the cart. And it's, it's really straightforward. There's teams all over the world that you can just join and then put yourself into that fire, throw yourself into the hot seat, you know, and ask those questions. Possibility team is a fantastic, rich environment right now, full of connections to all the other people. Thank so, you. yeah, and about the, the four lineages, there's this whole website called four, fourlineages.mystrikingly.com. And it has, have you, I mean, it's rich with information about that. So I don't know if you guys have studied that, but it's, I don't know what information you need that's not in there. What else do you need? I needed to hear the four lineages. I, had, right. I was not aware of that. Thank yeah, you. there's one called archetypal lineage, but that connects into, it's too much information for one website. So we, put, we have a whole straightforward four lineages website and it's just, it's, you know, the thing is we all have kind of access to all four. And if we're, if you are a game world builder, particularly if you're a game world builder and you're building a new game world, you essentially do need a kind of somehow to be balanced in all four to some degree. So like, and Chloe and I are both strong game world builders, but we also have village weaver aspects and the uh, guardian aspects and also the evolutionary aspects. So those are the other three. And so all, and we need to hold space to those so that the game world shows up. But then what would be when the game world is built, then people who are more particularly only village weavers can come in or those people who are only evolutionaries can come in because there are the other four balanced in, but to get it started as a, you know, as a small game world, you first have, you really have to have a good connection with all four or Kind of all four present in your in your infinity ring you know the, the central ring of your game world it's called the infinity ring christina did you have a different other question about that okay all right all right cool so we're we're on this uh, section of the book, you know, we're in the extraordinary part of the book, and it's, it's a, there's an inner battle that that we're all engaged in in a way to to leave the ordinary worlds in the ordinary domain and grapple with a different context, a new context for that we can walk in in our lives, even if the people around us are not walking in that context. And without being too arrogant, without being too forceful, without being too separate, without being all those things, you can easily hold a bubble of your own context and be completely relational with other people's contexts, even the ordinary ones. And so, it isn't, it isn't about building such a wall of clarity and you know, say, that's, you know, that's your context, this is my context. It, you don't really need that. In the extraordinary domains, you have more possibility. So in a way, you, you, you automatically run circles around people in ordinary domains. So you don't have to fight them. 
You don't have to contradict them. You don't have to pull the rug out from under them. You can do what you need to do and be with whoever and be fine and not give up your authority and not give up your culture. And, and then the other hand, we have these internal habits and our internal, our knowledge of the world comes from the ordinary domains. And so, so it's up to us to do the experiments, to gain the skills, to create extraordinary when there's no evidence or there's no circumstances around us that would look like it's easy to do or even that we have permission to do it. We don't have to ask permission to create the extraordinary. In our all day long, in our whole life, I'm, I'm telling you, we don't, you don't have to be adaptive and give it away. So we're in this part of the book. Um, I'm on page 142, and I'm just starting approximately where we left off, which said, uh, don't worry if the previous things we were talking about don't make sense to you. This is this whole discussion about the presiding deity and spaces and all this energetic spaces stuff. The concepts that we were just talking about come from outside of ordinary Western culture, and they will only become interesting and useful as you develop your space holding skills. So that's exactly what we're talking about. You know, if you are this intersection space between your archetypal lineage and the Earth Coincidence Control Office, it's about navigating space. That's what your life is about. You are a space. How do you navigate that? So in the meantime, make a mental note that the information is here in the book so you can return to it as needed while you are experimenting further. What is crucial for you to know right now is that what happens and what is possible in each conversation or each moment in your relationship does not happen or become possible by accident. It is not happening by accident. It happens or becomes possible according to what space you are holding. The quality of this space is the determining factor. If what is happening right now does not match what you want or need in your relationship, you have made it that way. You have created, you've walked yourself into this corner. You've painted yourself into a corner. Do you know that metaphor? It's like you're painting a floor and you're painting a floor with this paint. And you all of a sudden you look up and you realize that you've painted the whole floor. It's full of paint, but there's no door behind you. You've painted yourself into the corner of the room. And in order to get out of the room, you have to sit there and wait until the paint dries, or you have to walk through the wet paint and you're the one who did this to yourself. So any of anything that you want to blame on someone else, you know, on the circumstances or on somebody else doing whatever or not doing whatever, you have done it. You're, it happens because you created it that way. So the so it's about the space that you're holding. It's about your awareness, about what your intention is and your purpose. So if what is happening right now does not match what you want or need in your relationship, you can simply stay in contact with your partner or with whoever is in the space 
And then we talked about this last time, lean your shoulder up against the wall of the space and direct your attention so as, this is this hook I said, you have this hook on the end of a rope, this is your attention. You throw it out of the space, you direct your attention into a different space. So you make an energetic gesture and suddenly you will be in the next space and whoever was in contact with you will be in the next space with you. So you know about this. You can be in the car, driving down the road, and in three seconds, you're in a bardo, an underworld space. You're talking to somebody, you know, and it, this, you're, you're all of a sudden you're hooked, all of a sudden your reaction, you're reacting, all of a sudden, and there seems no way out of it. And you don't know how you got in there, but if you look, if you look back on the sentences that were said or the moves or the what was not said, you will find you just painted yourself into this corner. So since every space is connected to every other space, you can get to anywhere from whatever space you're in. Again, do not worry about figuring this all out right now. It will come to you through experience. And that's why I was suggesting to Mark and everybody to have the possibility team, because that is where you get good practice and experience to build on. You can make mistakes in your possibility team and all you get is, you know, hand wiggles and hugs and, and smiley faces. You know, that's, that's all you get. You do not get people shunning you for the rest of your life because we're all in this possibility team together to make mistakes. Bright principles are responsibility and action. Responsibility, consciousness and action makes bright, makes let me say that again. Consciousness in action is responsibility. Bright principles are consciousness in action. So shadow principles are aspects of irresponsibility. So you have these bright principles and shadow principles, and they're always intersecting your space. Each space has its own mix of principles in the space. You're either aware of them or you're not aware of them. You're either, you can either, you're conscious of them or not conscious of them. And and, but they are there because of you holding what kind of space you're holding. So it, as you create a space, it is helpful to know which principles are at work in this space and which principles you can call into the space. So you can call other principles into the space besides the ones that are there. The easiest way to detect what principles are at work in an energetic space is to continuously ask yourself the experiential question, what is the purpose here? There's a website called Purpose Sniffer, and it does not have very much on it, but it's a tool on your, on your tool belt. And it's your ability to just turn it on and it just starts sniffing around for what the purpose is. And this is where I was suggesting to uh, Hannes about using your intuition, because your purpose sniffer can detect purpose even when there's hardly any evidence at all. Even when somebody inhales their breath and puts their attention somewhere, you already know what the purpose is. If your purpose sniffer is turned on. Now, if it's turned off, then it probably means your gremlin wants to participate in the shadow principle that's being offered. But if you turn on your purpose sniffer, the purpose comes and you go, you know, not hungry for that right now not interested let's go somewhere else so you keep asking yourself the question what is the purpose here what is really going on here 
This is an amazing question. What is really going on here? The answer to your questions will be whole body sensing of the multiple dimensions and of the bright or shadow principles being fulfilled by what is present or what is happening or not happening in this space. This way you will continue to refine your space holding and space navigating skills. It is like learning to read road signs while you were driving so that you can tell what country you are in. Ordinary human relationship, extraordinary human relationship or archetypal relationship. The signs are obvious. The signs are obvious. And the signs, you can see them 100 meters away. You know, you can tell what kind of a sign is coming. So you don't have to be surprised by the signs that when they come. With your new driving skills and a few maps, you can drive wherever you like. I'm gonna jump into this next section. It's called NIT education, N-I-T. So NITs are the tiny, nearly indestructible eggs that lice, these little bugs, little insects called lice, lay on your hairs. So you know what, you know what lice are, right? These little bugs that grow in your hair, they lay eggs on your hairs, right? Okay, these, and the eggs are called nits. Okay, if you don't destroy the nits, the eggs, they hatch into insects that quickly lay even more eggs and start an entire uh, lice infestation in your hair. It does not take you very long. You know, in a few days, you can have one, one thing change into a whole tribe. So the phrase in English called nitpicking, it is a phrase, it comes from the zealous, zealous means enthusiastic and ongoing efforts of, uh, that are needed to pick the nits off of your hairs before they hatch. So this is what monkeys are doing. I don't know if it says it here. The term nitpicking accurately describes, yes, yeah, so that when monkeys sit around picking each other's hairs, this is what they're doing for each other. They're picking the little bugs off the hairs. I mean, I, I bought a, I was in Nepal one time and I had this shaman's mask made out of this turtle shell and had eyes cut in and looked really evil. And it had this yak hair at the top and a yak hair bird and you strap the thing on and it looks like you're just some, some demon thing. I don't know, but I was so attracted to this thing until I got up close to it and I could see it was full of nits. And I go, I'm not putting this on man. Cause one of those things jumps onto me and it's over. I mean, I'll tell you another story. I was on this boat in Tonga going from one island to the next. And it was a, a, a tugboat kind of boat. It was an old boat. It sank two years after I rode on it. So it was not in very good shape. So it sank in a storm. But in this, in this boat ride, there was no seats for passengers. It was a cargo ship. So there was goats peeing everywhere and chickens running around. And a storm was coming up. And so I looked at what was happening. I saw which direction the boat was coming and where the wind was going. And so in the afternoon, I went to sit behind the cabin where the wind would, the cold wind and the rain would be protected from it. So I get, I wait there for three hours, you know, to save my place. And then it gets dark and the wind starts blowing and the rain is coming. So I'm laying there and this 
big fat Tongan woman comes and lays right next to me. She like basically snugs right up to me and I'm freaking out. My box is completely freaking out. But I thought, okay, well, there's more protection from, you know, it's a nice warm, you know, source of heat and I would be protected. And then about a week later, I was in New Zealand and I'm brushing my hair and these, these lice come out. It was completely infected from lice. They just jumped off of her head onto my head. And I was, so let that be a lesson to you about sleeping next to large Tongan women on tugboats going to the uh, Tongan Islands. So these, this whole phenomenon about knits, this whole thing called nitpicking, it's a perfect, uh, a perfect name for the hypercritical, finicky, fault-finding behavior that eats away at the foundation of relationships. Nitpicking is a specialty skill of the box. The box goes for those little tiny things, goes, see, here it is, that little thing right there, you just destroyed my life because you know you put the dish, the dirty dish on the wrong side of the sink. You just destroyed my life. I have a whole system. Okay, this is a knit. Knits are idiosyncrasies, parsnickety opinions, preferences, and prejudices that form integral components of every person's box. Your box is so comfortable with its own knits that they become invisible to you, just like bad breath to the one who has it. People with similar knits become friends. If we find somebody with many knits that match ours, we might even marry them. From inside of your box, your own knits look and feel like home. They feel right and true and natural. They feel, they feel like they're supposed to, like the world is supposed to be that way. But being near another person's box that has knits that are different from yours drives us crazy. Since no two boxes are absolutely identical, the potential for nitpicking to drive you crazy exists in every single relationship that you will ever have. So, you know, there's this fantasy that's easy to catch. This, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a cliche, this thing about the prince on the white horse, you know, galloping up and, taking away the princess and riding off into the sunset, living happily ever after. And, that, you know, that lasts about 24 hours. I mean, actually, the first time it ever happens to you, it can last up to three months. I think it's God's gift to human beings, like three months of uh, delusion before, before the nits activate. And then when that falls away, the next one takes about three weeks. And after that one falls away, your next relationship you're nitpicking in about three days. And after that, you, you find, you know, you can drive people crazy in less than an hour. People you think you really like, and then you just see, you know, they, you're going like this and like this, you know, and your, your box just freaks out or whatever they're doing. They put the toilet paper roll on backwards or they, they chewing gum and sticking it under the table in the restaurant or whatever, whatever they're doing, just completely, you flip out and it just happens so fast. And if you do not know about boxes and knits, it becomes pretty hopeless, pretty hopeless. It's a rocky road. 
It's like everybody you look at, you know, Mark, this could be something going on for you, not just you, but it's like, you know, how can you not have friends in Northern California who are evolutionary people? You know, because probably your genius ability to scan for nits, you can spot people drive the way they could drive you crazy. You can spot them from across the room. So you don't even get close to them because they're already going to drive you crazy. But the thing is, nits are nits. Here, a, a sobering consideration is to recognize that over a period of time, boxes can become crystallized. I mean, this is a, a whole nother consideration about if you're not in an evolutionary path from pretty early age, the, the patterns, the nits, the construct of your box starts to, to crystallize, to become a solid thing. So it doesn't hardly have any chance of evolving. So we've mentioned it before, you're with people who have the same problem over and over, same stories over and over, same fears over and over. Every time you're with them, it's the same thing. This thing gets crystallized and they will spend the rest of their life in that construct and that will be it for them. So if you're in an evolutionary path, this construct goes through, uh, encounters forces that, are, that will destroy it that will crack it, that will take it apart different ways. It will dissolve it, melt it down. It will heat it up. It will transform it through experiences. The transformational path has many uh, evolutions. And so the, if you stay on the path, your box will not crystallize. So you can go your whole life and your box will not crystallize. So, so it just says, okay, if you forget or ignore the fact that nits, the nits out of which we construct your box is com are completely arbitrary and have no true or God-given validity. Then by your late 40s or early 50s, your nits can solidify into a self-defending structure. It is like not exercising enough. The less you stretch, the less you're able to stretch. Crystallization sneaks up on you and suddenly you cannot move at all. What that means is people will open doors for you or you'll be standing in front of doorways and you won't even see them anymore. You let alone being able to go through and take a new opportunity, you won't even see them anymore. And so you guys are, have been on an evolutionary path for a long time. People around you have not. There are a lot of people around you who have not traversed as many voids of transformational voids as you have. And so what I'm, what I'm asking you to do is to, is to keep you know, this in mind about crystallization so that because once a box is crystallized, it can be extremely difficult and perhaps even unwise to attempt box expansion because the nits could break. I want to tell you, we've had, we've had uh, we're really careful about who comes in to expand the box training. Because you just have to have a certain level of matrix and a commitment to the evolutionary path before it's okay to do expand the box training because it sets you on new tracks. It puts you in a different river. You go, you're going on this an entirely different way than that way, which is popular in modern culture. You're on this transformational path. And so it's better to remember uh, this idea and check people out than it is to try to force people to 
expand, force people to transform, force people to decrystallize. You know, you can love people. You can have this real love for people and see them stuck in this crystallized structure and feel powerless about it. And I've tried different things. You know, I've tried only speaking to the part of the person who's not crystallized. And what usually happens is the, the, the relationship just kind of fades out. It doesn't take too long for it to just fade out. And I hardly see these people ever again. And I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. So when the nits crystallize, there's a way to surrender to that. You know, everybody is making their choice about their life. And, it, and there's a way you can still love people, still care about them in a way, but have it not be, not be a failure on your part if they just choose not to, not to evolve, not to be on a transformational path. So, so if you can not be hooked into trying to rescue them from being crystallized and you can allow them to the respect that you would like them to give to you, they probably won't because they're afraid of you in some ways or they hate you for changing and thinking, you know, then they expect that they have to change. But if you, if you can do that, what will happen is it will open space in you for new people to come in your world who you can facilitate the shifts for. So that's what is this thing about being crystallized. Just try not to get hooked, stay in relationship in a way, but don't try to force it. And if you, if you can honor their choosing, it will make space for other people to show up who are more like ready for what you're trying to be with in terms of transformational stuff. Okay, you then uh, make it a practice to keep flexing your knit. You keep flexing your knit. It's a fantastic way to do traveling, even in one country, but better in a different country. You travel, your knits are gonna go crazy. People in other cultures have zero understanding of what it means to like serve a meal at a restaurant that's in the proper order and still hot, for example. I mean, there's, there's no, it's a, this is a concept from England or I don't know where it comes from, but you go out there and they'll serve you, you know, I don't know, the salad. And then a half hour later you get the soup. I don't know. And then the, the other person gets served their main dish and a half hour later you get yours. So they're, they're all finished eating. And in any case, the nits go, you can see what some of my nits are. The nits go crazy. And so you go travel, hit the road and flex your nits. And if you have this concept of nits and you understand that when you're talking to people and they have a value system that's completely different from yours, or they have needs that are different from yours. So you, you, you gain a, an ability to not only be flexible with your own nits, you can, it's like your box is freaking out and you can go just, it's the nits, my box are freaking out, but I'm not, my box is freaking out. And then somebody else's box is freaking out about your nits and you go, oh, it's just their box freaking out. But you keep talking to the person. So keep flexing your nits, mix them up, keep studying and learning, upgrade your nits over the long term. 
you could probably scan your family, your friends and acquaintances, and without much trouble, detect a few people with crystallized boxes, repeating the same stories and complaints over and over, refusing to try new experiences, blind to physical or verbal feedback, and defending with baseless reasons and excuses. Be careful of, be careful or they become you. You know, it's a great mirror. When you start noticing people reacting to you like that, it could easily be because you're reacting to them like that. Be careful that they're not, that you don't become them. But because if you're feeling that sensitivity, it could be coming straight from you. The older you get, the more seriously this applies. However, I've seen completely crystallized people less than 30 years old. So it, it's not really an age thing. The most confrontational conditions for our Bach turn out to be the most nurturing conditions for our being. For example, relationship. Put any two people together and within a short time, often less than a second, each box reacts to whatever is different or identical in the design of the other box. The differences can be minuscule, but the reactions can be enormous. Such reactivity towards an inanimate box, your, your box or the other person's, is as insane as cursing ragefully at a chair because you smashed your knee on it. Insane reactivity is the basis of ordinary human relationship. Uh, Clinton? Yes, Joseph. I, I just get the idea that I understand why that I had a, there was a friend for about 15, 20 years. I had a lot of contact and we, we had a good, strong relationship. And for, in the last three years, for some reason, I, I meant, I noticed that I couldn't really um, get in, in touch with her anymore. And I, I postponed talking to her and got more lazy phoning back. And, and she complained about that. And at some point of time, I couldn't even describe what it was that uh, really kept me in distance or it, it was so, so kind of difficult or made such an effort to talk to her. And now I understand it because she had gotten uh, quite rigid and she is getting a lot of problem with her, with her spine. So all the kind of rigidity in the, the knits now uh -huh. explains to me why I felt um, there is no, it doesn't really, I'm not, it doesn't, it's not joy, it's not connection because there is so many um, parts of her that I would not have, I could not really reach her. And that uh, the, the, the idea of the nits now give me a different picture of what happened between this in this relationship with her. Thank you. Yeah, that's the value of, of this. Hannes, just hold on a second. Let me see if there's somebody else. Hold on. <clears throat> Irena. Yes, good morning. I, I experienced the same with my sister, for example, because um, we used to live together and be super close and share ideas and also 
we are like everything we're like together. But lastly, I can say like four years ago, um, every time I'm more distant, distance and distance and I didn't have the courage to speak about it or to confront the situation and just create distance. And uh, it came naturally as I, I didn't understand really well. And I didn't want to, to say that I'm a bald, like faster than hair or something like that. But it's really clear for me that I'm not, I, I, I follow my heart and my feelings and, and I don't want it. I don't want to talk to her. I don't feel the same. And now it is sad in some way because to me, she was, I have other sisters and a brother, but with her, I felt so connected for a period that now it gets totally different. And I understand. Better, yeah. Yeah, but Irena, Irena what, what did you do that made you different? I study and try to do a better version version of myself. And I think that I connected with the source more or like, yeah, I'm trying to improve myself every time. And I challenge myself and do experiments with myself, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you. That's a lot. That is a lot. And it is a personal choice. It's like a hobby. Your choice of evolution yeah. is a hobby and everybody chooses their own hobbies for no reason, you know, for no explainable reason. But I, what I want to tell everybody is that there are these phases. There's three phases in this kind of stuff. What happens is just you're, you're next, you know, you're with somebody, your brothers and sisters, your friends, your lovers, you're with them. And then there's this phase where you... you we don't evolve the same. We have this stuff from past lives. We have matrix. We have these archetypal lineages. We have all these different forces at work in our lives. And that we evolve at different, different ways. We evolve at different speeds. And that's phase two is there's this gap and we can feel it. And part of it is the nits like we're talking about. There's a lot of other, other things that are different. And that this phase two is really uncomfortable and it's sad and it's frustrating and it's scary even sometimes because sometimes we think well there's nobody for me then you know I'm out there I'm, my friends are all gone I don't know anybody like it feels like that in phase two but in phase three you have this understanding oh yeah that is her nits that is her projection that's her need from a box from her childhood an unfulfilled childhood need that's a reaction. And you, and you can understand the offers that are being made to you. This is a, a child offer. This is a gremlin offer. You don't have to accept the offers, but you can see the offers that are being made. And you can make other offers back that somehow can match the person where they are. And this is, this is where it's, this is where you're, when you're holding and navigating space for uh, authentic initiator, authentic uh, emotional healing processes, you will make offers where a person is. You will find what's real in them. 
and you will meet them where they are. And that will be ecstatic for you because you're being creative in order to be with them where they are and to create possibility where they are and to connect where they are. This is an act of creation. This is phase three. So you're entertained, you're being fed, you're discovering, you're researching, you're exploring. And it's, it's a different, you have a different purpose. You have a completely different purpose. So their purpose might be survival and to keep things the same. And your people is to discover ways to meet people, to create little possibility, to, to, to be connect heart to heart and being to being right through the box. And it doesn't matter about the nits at all. You're developing different tools. And this is when your ability to create and deliver emotional healing processes takes it a whole leap into a new dimension. And so I'm just, I'm, what I want you to know, there's phase one, phase two, phase three. And if you can track which phase you're in, and if you're in that uncomfortable phase two part, I, I, I have uh, empathy. I have empathy for you in the phase two part. Nobody told me about this. I was in phase two for a long time. It's not a fun place to be. And if you don't go through phase two, you don't get to phase three. You just don't. And so, but if you understand about the nits and the box structure and all these distinctions that I just mentioned, reactivity, and is it a box, a hook, a trigger, a trauma, an imbalance of voice in their head? What, what is really going on when you're clear about it? You go, ah, it's just that. And you can shift out of the reactivity space and go right back into connection space. And so recently I've been back in touch with people from long ago in my life, some old friends, guys back in high school and stuff like that have been, I've been able to be connected with them again. And it's funny because I go through the change and then they show up. And it's like, in a way that they wanted to show up with, to me before, maybe you've had the same experience, but I wasn't ready. I would be too rigid or too, you know, I'm on an evolutionary path. You're, you have a corporate job. We cannot talk, something like that. But recently I've been, they've been contacting me and it's, it's kind of, it's like, okay, something has soft, I'm in phase three. So you can get into phase three. You guys have to understand that I did not have my first feeling until I was 39 years old. Really actually is about 41 years old. So I could, I did not distinguish between a feeling and an emotion until I was 41 years old. I couldn't feel anything until I was 39 years old. So, so I had a late start. So it doesn't take as long as it took me for you to get all this stuff. Just wanted to throw that in. So thank you, Irena. So just, you sound like you're in phase two. Yeah, and it's rough, but, but hang in there. Yeah, great. Hannes, did you have something? Yeah, um, you partly answered my question. Um, I, I'm a little bit struggling with a picture of nitpicking because um, uh, do I get it right that the aim is to prevent nits from breaking or 
No, we're made out of knits. The box is made out of knits. You have a box, everybody has a box. You are not your box and they are not their box. And if the box is in charge, the box will react against other people's knits because they're different. Each mm -hmm. box has different ones. But when you have clarity about this, you can feel your knits freaking out or you can feel their knits freaking out about you. And you can go, ah, it's just knits. So you have clarity creates possibility. So you don't have to react the same way. And you can actually use it, knit research as a form of entertainment. You can just start making a list in your beat book of other, the weirdnesses, the unbelievable bizarreness of other people's knits. And then you can find your own, which are really incredibly bizarre. And so, and then you just make this list and you have it, you've packaged it off to the side and go, God, this is really entertaining. And you can write articles about it, make videos about it like that. And it's people laugh and but they, everybody has knits. So that's the point. But what is it then, or what does updating your knits mean? Uh, it means to have clarity about the fact that knits are knits. Okay. And they're not, they're not real. They're, not, mm. uh, they're a nuisance, but they're, you don't have to live in a nest full of knits and defend it. You don't have to do that. You can see the knits and it's like, there's a great book by Lyle Watson called Lightning Bird. And it's a story about a a uh, guy who is walking through Africa, he learns how to just walk through Africa. And after a while, there's no roads, there's no villages, there's nothing. And you have to figure, and he could, he learned how to sleep on the ground, but he, he learned you have to make, you have to distinguish between the energetic spaces of where you sleep on the ground. Because if you do not make that distinction, you sleep on the ground, and the ants will just crawl all over you and basically eat you up during the night. But two meters to the side, they would leave you completely alone because you're in this energetic safe place. So this is like, if you don't know about knits, it's like not knowing about where the energetic safe place is. Then you just are sloppy and clumsy and you get into reactivity and you're covered with this bugs and it's very bothersome. But If you can distinguish knits, they're still there. They do their thing. You just stand to the side and go, wow, what an amazing thing. And a whole ants are amazing. Knits are amazing also. It's like that. Thank you. And Chloe, were you going to say something? Yeah, I mean, I kind of have a similar story then Irene is funny because I have sisters and a brother and it sounded like something like that for you Irene and and somehow as my journey went it felt like there was I got further away from one sister and then I was still in contact with some and then when I kept going then I also contact with the other ones sort of got more and more like um, sep separate and so Now I get this picture of evolution in this. Mm. Yeah, and it seems like before I could really have some feeding conversation um, like sometimes, and now it's like less and less. 
and I'm not I don't know I'm not yet really in phase three of um, like making an effort to have this conversation and I think it also has to do with expectation from their part of like who I should be and so and when I don't match that then there's reaction across and but in a way I'm gonna I'm gonna keep refusing to be who I was when I was 17 or 18 and so it would be the experiment like how to have this different purpose like enjoy the 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 being to being together or being where they are what to do is when they want me to be somewhere else (laughs) and and I can't I can't change that and at the same time I don't want to be adaptive to that and I think that's probably one of the reasons why the calls have been kind of separate because there's this expectation that can only be unfulfilled and resentment across so yeah I guess I do have kind of a question about what to do about that this expectation uh, when evolution happens I mean I mean you're talking about what is phase three like or how do you how do you what is what happens in phase three and a lot of it is non-linear possibility comes in so here's the assumption or expectation and ordinarily you have to deal with it like this but if you come over here and do this the target for their expectation is not there anymore so you you don't have you don't offer them the the place where they could resist against or project upon the screen is gone so you're you're offering a completely different invitation but what if what if they want the screen like what if they want the project well like here's want, yeah. one, one of the things you can do is go over here right next to them and go god wouldn't it be great to have somebody to project against let's pick dad you know and then you project against dad together like you you move over to their side right okay yeah i've done stuff like that but it's like it's not really enjoyable i mean i've yeah i've tried that i've tried the the like being together on the one side and yeah anyway okay i'll try some other stuff well, let me read this next paragraph. I just saw it. It goes to enter extraordinary human relationship requires complete clarity about nits without a pre-knowledge about the fact that nits exist and the kinds of bizarre nits that can exist. Your box un- instantly absorbs itself with picking at the nits of your partner picking at them like this. Avoiding nitpicking comes through understanding how your box concretizes its own nits into rules. You make your own nits solid. You make them into rules. It needs to be this way for me to be comfortable, for me to be safe, for me to be happy, for me to like you. It has to be like this. And if you Watch in horror as your box initiates the conversation, I'm right, you're wrong, and battles with your loved ones. Even though such a polarity is ridiculous because all nits are subjective and fictional. 
I mean, that you could write on a paper and put it under your refrigerator. All nits are subjective and fictional. That'll freak your neighbors out when they come over and go, what does that mean? You have a great conversation with that. So even when you have the discipline to restrain your, nick, your nitpicking monster, your, you know, your box and gremlin combination is this nitpicking monster. And even if you have the discipline to, to restrain it, your box can still get hooked and explode in reaction to the insidious nitpicking of other people's boxes. Although it's not a pretty sight, having clarity about nitpicking as a catalyst that inserts a gap in your box's reaction. So here, let me say that again. Although it's not a pretty sight to see your box's reactivity or other people's box's nitpicking thing, when you have clarity about nitpicking, it is a catalyst that inserts a gap in your box's reaction mechanism. With a gap in the works, or like a monkey wrench in the works, the reaction gears cannot mesh and the emotional force of the reaction has nothing to grab onto. So like what and Chloe, what you're talking about is you have uh, a reaction to her reaction to you. So you know what I mean? Like you want her to be a, a different way. That's what we want. We want other people to not react to us. We want people to like us or love us whatever way we are. And we care that they do not. That caring is a reaction. And so you can take, you can check it out. Why do you care? What do you actually think you want? I want her to love me and be like me and, and come with me and whatever. You know what I mean? And this is this reaction. So we have this kind of stuff. As if you coated your tires with grease, the reaction free wheels without effect. And eventually it stalls out going back to neutrality because there's a gap. When you have this clarity, it creates a gap. The reaction still does its thing, but there's nothing to grab onto. And it just goes, it just stalls out. With a little practice, the time from knit reaction to the stall out can shrink down to about three seconds. When your internal knit reactions do not get to cause any external reactions, such as your words, your face, rolling your eyes, gestures, you know, sighing, you know, if it doesn't cause any of that, then your being gets to stay centered, present, respectful, and attentive. Knit reactions that previously may have blown you out of kilter for days, out of balance for days or weeks, can now pass in a few seconds. All the energy you conserve can then be directed toward more interesting experiments. All boxes have knits because boxes are made out of knits. Box reactions to knit conflicts are completely unavoidable, but what is avoidable is being identified or hooked into fully participating in your own boxes reactions even to, the, to their reactions, your reaction to their reaction. Staying unhookable comes from the clarity that nits are nothing more than nits. Jesus, the guy who wrote this book must have been really a nitpicker. Right after that is a list of a hundred possible nits, a hundred. 
There's a list in the book of a hundred nits. I mean, whose job is it to pay the bills and maintain the car and get rid of bugs or rodents or change the light bulbs? Or how friendly do you have to be with the neighbors? Or how much time do you spend with the relatives? Is too much time with the relatives? Or what words to use when you answer the telephone? You know, you ever answer the phone and go, Bob's junkyard, you crash him, we smash him. You know, and they go, what, do I have the wrong number? You go, no, no, it's just me. I was just trying a new way to answer the phone and your partner freaks out, you know? Like people have nits about this kind of stuff. How to clean a toilet. When is a toilet actually dirty? Is it possible for toilets to even get dirty? That's number 22, just in case you want to check. So the nit, you should, I don't know, this, maybe I can just copy paste it and you can read through it because it's incredible. What should go on the refrigerator? Who are, who do we call our friends? Is that person our friend or is that your friend? How important is politics? You know, what is a funny joke? What is good sex? What is too much or not enough sex? How much is too much television? How many televisions to have in the house? How many televisions to have in the bedroom? Like what, what to keep in the freezer? I, I lived with this guy who was a ornithologist. He used to, he studied birds. Anytime there was a bird kill on the road, he'd stick it in the freezer. So you open the freezer and refrigerator, you kind of dig around looking for something to eat. And as you pull out these dead, you know, smashed up, you know, pheasants and, and rodents and stuff. And it was just like, what should you keep in the freezer? Like where to keep the keys? Now this is an incredible knit thing. Where do you keep the keys? Like, do you spend time putting things away exactly the way they were before? Or do you spend time looking for where the hell did I put the things this time? Like, like it's just a matter of where you wanna do with your energy. Like how long to stay on the telephone? Like how much, how much is too much alcohol, gambling, or drugs, right? How much insurance should we have? What constitutes flirting? God, there's, that was number 100. So anyway, I'll copy paste it. Yeah, Joseph. I have a very nice one. It's uh, between my girlfriend and me. She grew up in a, in a bourgeois uh, family and they have very clear rules about how to eat. And one rule is when you have finished uh, eating, you put the fork and the knife uh, aside double at your right side. So to, to clearly signalize the waiter, um, you are finished. I didn't have this education, so I totally forget any time I put my, my uh, fork and my, my knife, however it I finish. It might be like this or like this. And each time, nearly, now it's getting, the nits is getting less um, uh, terrible, but usually she freaks out when at the end of the, the even if we eat together at home and no, there is no waiter, nobody. Uh, and I don't put it there. Uh, she's getting really mad about when I forget to have this, this clear signal to the waiter. It's nice to, to get that from, from this perspective. <laughs> totally. I mean, my, my parents, basically, I would get a spanking if I was at home at the dinner table and I had my elbows on the table or my, you know, I had to keep my hands in my lap. I had to keep them off the table. And so I was raised in California. My father grew up in the Eastern United States. 
And so it was, I had to be polite and have my hands in my lap. I go to Germany and I start, I go to a meal and my translator, she's looking at me go, what are you doing? I go, what? She goes, your hands are in your lap. I go, yeah. And I, yeah. She goes, no, no, no. People want to know. They think you're doing something under the table if your hands are off the table. I go, what? I go, they don't know what you're doing with your hands if you don't have them on the table. Put your hands on the table. I would put my hands on the table. 10 seconds later, they would be back in my lap because I knew I was going to get spanked. You know, it took me a couple of years before I could keep my hands on the table in Germany. So everybody knew what I was doing with my hands. So this is amazing stuff. Yeah, Lindsay. Yeah, um, the section is really helpful for me, like identifying how I used to react to other people nitpicking. Like, it definitely. You mean yesterday? Me. Yeah, but I'm just thinking of specific, specific, oh, okay. uh, a specific thing of like um, people when they when we're cooking two people together, and then it's very casual two people, and then they start to be like, "Could you cut? Could you cut the vegetables a little bit?" smaller could you you know and then I can see myself being like what yeah like can we just have an yeah but I would get really sucked into it because I was like who are, why are you criticizing everything when yeah so I can see how I got really hooked and now I'm wondering like what is the the healthy way for me is it I'm thinking it's like okay this is not really fun for me. I can step away from my box, but maybe I just want to hang out with other people. Is that healthy? I mean, I can be like, oh, I can engage in this as a process, but actually I would prefer to marry someone who actually has the same nits of me who are like, let's get through this meal, like more enjoying the time together instead of figuring out what size to cut everything. You're going to actually oh, marry avoid somebody? <laughs> <laughs> Really, you're going to marry somebody? So look, look, we haven't got that part yet, but it's about negotiating. It's about putting stuff on the table. Like before you were around this guy, you would cut the vegetables and they seem the right size. And then you get next to this other person and they go ahead. What? Well, I, my, I feel like my thing in this situation is like, if you want to cut them smaller, cut them smaller. Like, I don't care. Right, but so I have other nits that are not. I'm not. Yeah, I know I'm not like my size is correct, but. Oh, it is. <laughs> anyway, so all I'm saying is that stuff was unconscious before, and so the value of being with other people in partnership, in community, in in projects and stuff. One of the big values is this rubbing up against each other, is right. the knit okay. things. Because before there's friction, before there's some conflict, they are unconscious. But yeah. and when they become conscious, it hurts. It becomes painful. But the thing is, we don't make the distinctions. We don't shift our awareness and behavior until it hurts too much to keep doing it the old way. And so the value of the conflict of this, of this, of making it become conscious of the of that the, you like it this way, I like it this way, this is our box, which way is right? Well, neither one. The value is the pain of awareness builds matrix and you're becoming more aware of that something else completely different from this is possible right now. 
This is a freak out statement. We have not even got close to talking about this stuff. Something completely different from this wow. is possible right now, every now, in every single now. And so if you want it this way or like it this way or don't like it this way or have to have it this way or cannot have it this way, there's something completely different from that possible right now. Right. Who's responsible for creating it? Right. Who's going to create that? And this starts with being able to feel it, notice it, put it on the table, not totally react and kill the other right. person or leave as an easy solutions, kill them or leave, feed your gremlin, but to put it on the right. table and go, God, look at this. I'm having an emotional reaction because of this. There's three centimeter carrots and eight centimeter carrots. And I'm freaking out. My box is freaking out. Let's right. talk about this. Let's have a negotiation. I'll pay you 10 euros a day every time I can cut the carrots anytime I want. You pay me 10 euros a day every time you cut the carrots the size you want. Okay, forget the money. What else can we do? Like this, you can start to negotiate. What were you going to say? Yeah, I mean, um, just like three days ago, probably my, yeah, I thought it, it was happened. yesterday, but go ahead, yeah. I think I was alone yesterday because now I'm living by myself. So it makes it a lot easier. <laughs> See, that's what I said at the beginning of this study group. Right. I said, get I yourself a partner no. and live with them. Keep I'm going. also staying in hostels, which I've discovered are the best place to do this work. Because So I'm walking on beautiful trails and beautiful neighbor and beautiful nature and with three other people, one of which talks the entire time. And we're talking an all day hike. And also talking about how lovely it is to be in this beautiful nature and whatever. And so with me, I, I guess I did what I did the easy. After half of the walk, I was, just, I was talking with her. I didn't react. I don't feel, I didn't react like strongly. I talked with her sometimes, but after half the walk, I was just like, peace. I'm gonna walk, I'm leaving. But the, the more, the other option would be to bring it on to talk about it. Yeah, negotiate. Each of us gets one right. sentence every 10 minutes. How does that work? And I feel for you? a bit controlling. That it's I'm negotiating. Like, I'm like, this walk isn't working for me. Yeah, okay. Then you spend the rest of your life walking alone. That's your future. Right. And you won't learn anything. You will not build matrix. You will not evolve. You will walk alone. Right. I'm good at it. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Lindsay, I want to share with you that sometimes I go for walks with friends and I, we, we negotiate that we walk three hours in silence. And this is the most regenerating walking together. Are you crazy? I mean, look at all the distinctions you missed. You guys could create a project together. There's probably so your archetypal lineage is probably freaking out. Here are these no, catalytic no, no. elements that could offer you possibilities and you're shutting the whole program down, going into some meditative state. Are you insane? Our archetypal lineages are getting totally inspired. After three hours, weeks, we share and we are in bliss. It's totally recommendable. Thank you. I, I said, thank you. I mean, it's like, we're talking knits. It's totally bliss. I mean, this is a knit.
I don't know. Then it's a nice knit. What if it was possible to do that in three minutes instead of three hours? <laughs> okay, so Mark, that was one of those things that you said. That was a total attack. She only has to defend herself now. This is exactly the thing that you brought up before. You, you get the example? It's, a, it's based on a possibility, but it comes across as a confrontation or a, an attack. And the only thing they can do is separate, lock, attack back, and then there's this conflict. So there's what you could do in your possibility team is say, I noticed this, I thought of this as a possibility. How could I offer it? And your possibility team would coach you and give you 10 other options of ways to go about it because you've got valuable stuff to offer, but that's a killer. The thing you just did is a killer, totally kills intimacy. So it's not bad, it's not wrong, it's not stupid, but it has consequences. And the consequences are your intimacy's gone like that, that fast. Lindsay, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to say something to Mark because when the two of you just spoke right now, I just feel like I do the same thing. So if Mark wants, I offer, I just, yeah, all of that really resonated. So um, maybe Mark and I can start a possibility team. <laughs> yes. Yay. Things are happening. <laughs> I'm noticing too, as we're, as we're going through all this, about that, this kind of other side about having been really adaptive to other people's knits Whoa. and, and, and a knit that I would add to the list would be to like, how many knits it's okay to be adaptive to compared to how many knits the other person is adapting to. Whoa. And there's another one, which is like, in the capitalist patriarchal empire, are women more adaptive to the men's knits or are men more adaptive to the women's knits and which is right? That would be a great article. You have to give it a different title, but it'd be a great, a great thing to you know, open up. Do you have the next three article titles, Nicole? Or, or is that one a possibility? I'm writing that one down. It's, a, it's on a pretty long list. Cool, thank you. Hannes, go ahead. Yeah, I had more or less the same impulse like, how much do I have to bow myself? How much? Who have become an S licker or something like that by being adaptive to other people's nets until I really say, forget it, it doesn't work out. You don't have to be adaptive to anybody's nets ever, ever. It's not being nice because it's being fake, it's being inauthentic. Or and maybe adaptive was the wrong word. But no, no, it's like updating my nits or no. Okay. Look, let me read this thing. It's in the mm -hmm. it says once you know that nits are nits 
and there ain't no arguing about nits. You can't argue about nits. Mm-hmm. Should three centimeter carrots, you know, two millimeter carrots, what's, you cannot argue. You can start using your box's sensitivity to nits, like a radar. You can see nits as, it's like an irresponsibility detector. If you find yourself overreacting to nits, it can indicate that you are low on tolerance because you're not taking care of yourself. That's a whole next section is taking care of yourself. It's about how to take care of yourself. If you're not taking care of yourself, then you react. You have this reactivity. So part of negotiating is taking care of yourself. It is your responsibility to take care of yourself. If you do not take care of yourself, you become overly sensitive to nits and you become a needy burden to the other people around you. Your gremlin may get a big like joy out of being needy because then he or she can manipulate all the rescuers and nice people around you. But being needy is not a basis of extraordinary human relationship. So a lot of it is about not taking care of yourself and then having this, well, you know, I was, I was adaptive to your last 10 nits. So you have to be, you know, reacting and you have to be adaptive to my knit. This is a revenge game. This is really being betrayed and dis- being deceptive because you're not being authentic and then getting revenge. This is low drama stuff. It's gremlin stuff. It's about taking care of yourself more consciously. Thank you for saying that. I think I, you just described in this chapter what I entered or what I um, what what was going on in this um, Zoom call this morning. What I uh, told you of, um, and I think I'm I'm partly entering this phase too by discovering what the nits are at the other person's behavior and yeah my fear is that i i'm no more authentic if if i put my principle of i want to be with a beloved one together no matter what it costs or no matter how many nits there are i have to become aware of and i have to be i have to cope with But yeah, there's this other way. <coughs> there's this whole other approach mm-hmm. where it's not about either you or me. Mm-hmm. It's about transformation. It's about raising awareness. It's about new distinctions, entering new territory, negotiating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a whole other way. Thank you. I, I really wonder about how many people I have in my life that have the same nits that I do. And that the reason that they're there is because I like their nits unconsciously. And that if it was about more than just nits, then maybe we wouldn't even be around each other. And that's pretty scary. I feel pretty scared about that. Here's, do the flip side too, Brianna, okay? Do the flip side. How many people 
could you be amazingly collaborative with, but their nits freak out your box? Yeah. I mean, when I first got this, there was this guy who was a rogue. He was a complete lawbreaker. He would steal stuff. He was growing drugs using nitrous oxide. He was just a, he was a fringe guy. And part of me loved this guy, but my box had so many nits that just were completely freaked out. We could not be friends for a couple of years. And then I got this and then all of a sudden it shifted. One day it shifted. And I go, God, this guy's a pirate. He's a rogue. He's an unpredictable, uncontrollable. He's a wild guy. And he's my friend. He's my friend. And God, my, our hearts went together. Our beings went together. And our, my box, I, I don't know what his box did, but, but it really made a difference to distinguish that the other way too. Yeah, thank you. But you know, if your drug dealer friends are gonna get arrested, use your intuition to get out of there before then. <laughs> we have this, you know, time to get out of there signal. It's a, I don't know, get out of there signal. And you're alive now because your ancestors have that. So each of us have a highly developed, it's time to get the fuck out of here signal. And if you block your intuition because your numbness bar is high, you will miss the signal, but you have to get it that you're the ones whose parents or great-great-grandparents did not get burned at the stake for being witches. You get that? And they knew when to get out of there. So you have it. You have that intuition. So use it. Develop your intuition about knowing when to get out of there and just move. Just get out. And then how do you just distinguish that intuition from just a box reaction or from getting hooked. Would you write that question down, please, and report next week on an answer? Brilliant that, question. That, Thank that you. question is too good to answer. You need to find that one out yourself experientially. Thank I you. would be you a, doing you a disservice if I tried to answer that question. So you use that one. It's a great one. The answer will be experiential. I mean, Lindsay, that's the thing. Your friend was talking all the time. They were hanging out in verbal reality. So there's a website called Experiential Reality. I'm not sure how much is on there, but the distinction between verbal reality and experiential reality is also explained in the Conscious Feelings book. But it's such a big difference. And so if your friend is hanging out in verbal reality and you want to experience the you know what's happening in experiential reality those are two different realities and you could make an invitation that could be part of the negotiation let's have experiential reality walks things like that but isn't this a bit like i know that's what i'm seeking but isn't that a bit of pushing what i want like where is this like let her do her thing. She wants to be in her head. I can assume so unconsciously she wants to be in her head. It's not, it's not safe. It's not comfortable to be in the moment in the body. So they can't be at the same time in the head and body. So she's in this. Here's what you're forgetting. She wants to be with you. You get that? She would not, she would not want to be with you and not want to learn about this stuff somehow. 
you can kind of trust that from the Earth Coincidence Control Office. The coincidence that you know her, that she wants to go on a walk with you, there's some element of that where she wants this stuff that you could share, or she would not be with you, she would pick somebody else. Okay, we were a group of four, but maybe you're saying even extending it to the fact that the four, the four of us came together, even though maybe she wasn't there for me, but she was there for person number three. But you're also saying the, co the coincidence of us crossing paths is enough. I mean, I would ask you to investigate that. Don't take it on my word, but yeah, yeah. My, researching the Earth Coincidence Control Office helps you investigate the sophisticated complexities of the of the coincidence, the miraculousness of the coincidences. You know, if you're if you're looking for something, you might be looking for the a sense of the miraculous in everyday life. And that would be an example of it, is to start noticing the miraculousness of coincidences. How could that possibly work out like that? And then then it, that's a fun, that's a fun place, my experience. Brianna, were you gonna say something? Yeah, I also want to bring up this I this the bright principle of radical responsibility and how and how just being on that walk with this person, you're responsible for part of the relationship. And it's not about like erasing yourself so that she can be whatever she wants to be because you're also responsible to for yourself to be part of the relationship yeah you could also do the experiment of both of you talking a mile a minute the whole time both of you at the same time you could do that experiment go to any cafe and listen to what other people are saying and mostly that's what's happening mostly both people are talking at the same time for all six people and you go, what is that? Is it? Some, sometime put a microphone in the middle and record one of those. So you walk over to their table and you have a microphone, say, Could I, I just like to record the incredible complexity of this non-conversation that you're having just as an experiment. And you put the microphone in the middle of the table, they would all shut up. That's how you can have silence at the cafe. Somebody else was gonna say something? You know, we have a week ahead of us, and that means I don't get to talk to you guys for a week. So what that means is it's a possibility space for doing experiments. So some of you might start possibility teams in this week. By next week, you might have possibility teams. Or you might be negotiating new kinds of intimacy based on your nits. You observe your nits and you keep putting it on the table and you go, you know, I always wanted more salt in the potatoes, but I never told you because I was being adaptive. And I thought, well, I can always add more salt in the potatoes later, but it's not the same if it's boiled in as if I put it on the top. So I like to negotiate how much salt we put in the potatoes. And you could have some very interesting conversations this week about putting nits on the table, negotiating how stinky is a towel before you wash it, or how stinky are 
are the shoes before they have to stay outside of the room. You know, it's like there's so many things. Like how much leftover food can you have in the refrigerator and not worry about a mold infestation that just that creeps into your whole house? I mean, there's so many things to negotiate about. So during this week, you could really test like how much of your world is bit out, built out of knit reactivity, knit offensives, knit defensiveness, you know, What's your strategy? Like how much of your life is built out of these unconscious mechanical reaction behaviors from your box and somebody else's box, this knit thing? How much of your life is built out of that? How much of your aloneness and separateness is built out of simply trying to not have to, to be adaptive or to confront the knits from another person's box because you never had the power of negotiating? Or how much... How much of your life is built out of shrinking back and hating, subtly hating the other person because you're a woman and it's a patriarchal empire. So you have no power to confront the uninitiated adolescent masculine personality. Like how much of your life is built out of that? And what could change about it? What's possible? So these are some experiments that could happen this week. We have a couple minutes left. Anything from anybody? Somebody who's not spoken much? We have 14 items in the chat room. 22 of us are still hanging in here. Two minutes left. We could do that unprecedented thing of ending now. So Mark says no. <laughs> I'm having a hard time stating this because it's totally gremlin, but this seems like hard work negotiating with another person. What do I do to find someone I'm interested enough to invest that hard work? Exactly. There it is. It's not hard work. I mean, look, when you got dressed this morning, you chose the orange shirt. Was that hard work? Mm, I see your point. What is my point? It's as hard as I make it. Aha. Okay. This is like the tar baby process. It's as sticky as you make it. So, so okay. So it's actually playtime. It's creative playtime. Go, go watch some kids. If, if you ever can find some kids playing together or watch a video or something, watch some kids negotiating intimacy. It is ongoing. And they don't withhold punches. You know, if they're angry, they're angry. If they're scared, they're scared. If they're sad, they're sad. You know, if they're, if they're glad, they're glad. It's out there on the table. So watch the way they negotiate. This is, see, we get to be free and natural adults. See, they're being free and natural children, 
which is phase one, but they have no responsibility. And then for 18 years, we learn how to, we build the matrix to become responsible. And after 18 years, when we blast out of our survival strategy, the whole world is open to us to create in, to play in. So this is, it's playtime. The negotiating is the playtime. It's a theater piece. It's improvisational theater. It's ongoing improvisational theater. And it's not decided by your box or your gremlin. You know, you get to experiment with how much ecstasy you can tolerate. How much ecstasy can you invent in a space? And how much, how much you know, intimacy and ecstasy can you endure for how long? And you can breathe and keep breathing into it. And it will, it will uh, you know, find out how far you can go with that. So that means you're going to have to actually interact with some other people, you know, it, and it's about this play. It's about high level fun. Hard work. Yeah. What did they do to you? Doors in California, Los Angeles. I used to live there. I'd go to Venice beach and Put on your bathing suit and you'll find friends right away. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Yeah, really. All right, then. Thank you all. Thank you, Mark, for your last question. And thanks for participating. Have fun experimenting this week, playing full out. And see you next week. See you guys. Bye. Thank you. Ciao. Gracias, chao. Thank you. Bye. Bye.